0: Howdy. This is too busy for crypto. This podcast is for fans of cryptocurrency who want to increase their financial literacy and cryptocurrency literacy. I am not an expert. I am an enthusiast. This podcast is my hobby and is for education. This episode will incorporate a simple tutorial into a lengthy discussion you can find tutorial videos about this topic that are only a few minutes long on YouTube. My discussion is to explain each step for the occasional crypto participant who is not a tech expert, but who would like to be able to explain to themselves and others what is happening. The world of cryptocurrency has a recent development that may take years to catch on. The development is... Local server files that access blockchain nodes and produce a locally hosted front end user interface. I repeat, local server files for local front ends. This is a major level up for the goals of no middlemen, self-reliance, and censorship resistance. In this episode, I will provide a tutorial on using local server files. To use less words, I will refer to this process as auto-serving. The files are local servers, and they produce local front ends. The prefix auto modifies a verb to mean the action arises from a thing itself, like autonomous, or autodidact, or automobile. Servers are how we access the internet. I say auto-serving because until now, the commoners have had to rely on the servers of others to remotely host front ends. Now each of us can easily auto-serve and host our own local front end. My choice of words is intentional. I could say self-serving or self-hosting, These have tainted connotations. Self-serving sounds like a character flaw. Self-serve sounds like food service. Self-hosting is a term used by fake crypto to imply that knowing your own private keys is bad, an idea that nullifies the purpose of crypto. Since my personal interest in cryptocurrency revolves around the smart contract known as HEX, And since the auto-servers that were created for all of us were created by the founder of Hex, Richard Hart, then I will discuss those auto-servers. This is a new innovation in cryptocurrency. Everyone else will have to catch up if they want something similar. These auto-server files allow you, the listener, to auto-serve your own front-end. You run your own host-client interaction on your personal device. These files are an innovation in self-reliance and free speech. In terms of everything you should know to be a basic participant of crypto, this topic is not that complex. What it is, is new. You should welcome this technical topic and not be bored or afraid. There are videos that cover the process in a few minutes if you want to go through it quickly. A deeper understanding of the process may help you understand that crypto is an economic format based on personal responsibility and freedom. People with no desire for personal responsibility or freedom belong in traditional finance, begging a middleman for scraps. You have listened this far, which means you probably care enough to succeed. What are these auto-servers? The names of these local server files are 1. The hex server 2. The eth-hex-uniswap server 3. The pulse-chain-bridge server 4. The pulse-x server what do these servers do? These servers allow you to never have to use or trust a website. You run a private local web page that only you can see or access. That local page is a front end. Front ends are a user interface for protocols like smart contracts and bridges. When you see websites like these, Those websites are displaying a front-end run by a server that is open to any client, like you. The server communicates with a blockchain node through a soft wallet program of your choosing. The entire internet is based on an interaction called the host-client relationship. A server can be a physical device or software program, on a host computer, that provides services to clients. Unlike the internet, local servers only host a local client, you, via a private IP address. Most people are only familiar with being on the client end of a computer connection. When a person uses a teleconference app like Zoom, they can download a client which allows the user to interact with the server and outsource most of the computing demand to the Zoom server, which processes all of the audio and video from everyone and then sends relative representations of the call to each client. If a user was acting as the Zoom server with a regular laptop, the laptop would not be able to handle the load of all the audio and video being sent from several people. Servers handle the load. They are typically computers on racks with more processing and storage power than desktop computers. Hosting servers on desktops was common in the early days of networking, but has fallen to the wayside since the internet has become centralized. The internet is centralized because telecom companies own the pipes. They own the fiber optic lines, the antennas, the satellites. Either the telecom company or some other big company like Amazon or Microsoft sets up server farms along the fiber optic pipes. Most people use a personal device as a client that accesses a host in a server farm on a telecom pipe. In the context of cryptocurrency, Running your own local server means that you operate the client and the host on your own hardware. You are not outsourcing your reliance to other hardware. You are serving yourself. Censorship entities are used to shutting down centralized websites with an email or phone call to a website host. The host can block an IP address with a mouse click. Acting against a decentralized system is a different game. Censoring individuals in their homes is also a different game. Auto-server files are a level-up in cryptocurrency decentralization for participants. There is still room for further decentralization. First off, the use of telecom pipes owned by a company is centralization. An alternative to this would be a mesh network, which is not mass-market friendly. However, the enemies of Liberty could try to force us onto an authoritarian mesh network if they shut down fiber-optic lines. A second area for further decentralization is, when the auto-server accesses the blockchain, it will talk to a validator node. A node is a blockchain server. If a particular blockchain has a number of nodes dominated by one or a few parties, then that is a form of centralization. This is not an issue with Ethereum and PulseChain right now. It is an issue with Bitcoin. Third, a person must use a soft wallet program to interface with a node. Wallet apps are centralized. Metamask is the most widely used app by Hex participants, but Metamask routes traffic to nodes run by its sister company Infura, The parent company ConsenSys can easily combine information from all its companies and vendors to harvest information like location and identity. They were known to shut down transactions from Venezuela for political reasons, and they employ garbage vendor tools that label some tokens a scam by default, which is an attempt to block access. It is possible that the Hex founder Richard Hart will make a decentralized wallet to address wallet issues. For now, one must exercise caution with wallet apps. One's money depends on it. That goes for anything in crypto. This winds down my introduction to the topic of auto-servers. Next, I present a tutorial with commentary as a third-person narrative format. I use the imaginary character named Bubba, so I do not constantly say you or I. In this narrative, Bubba will download and use the auto servers for Uniswap, PulseX, Pulse Chain Bridge, and Hexstaking. Bubba will use both Ethereum and PulseChain. I recommend against you blindly imitating anything done by Bubba. I recommend that you figure out why cryptocurrency exists and why it might matter for your future. Cryptocurrency is a technology field in constant change. Assume that everything I say is old news. It is up to you to figure out what the most current and correct information is. A month in crypto is like a year anywhere else. You do not have to be a genius. You simply have to put in effort that traditional finance wants you to leave up to them. If you do not have enough disposable play money to waste on crypto now, you can at least learn enough so you are ready when your opportunity to waste that money appears. Now to the story. Bubba levels up to serving himself crypto. Part 1. Getting the Files Bubba has a home computer. It is a PC that runs Windows. He is used to Windows OS, but he could have Linux or Apple. Bubba is ready to download zip files that contain the executable server files that he wants. He will go to four websites. If these websites are down, and Bubba does not have a way to run a local auto server, then he will have three choices. 1 less secure, use a front end through a regular website. Two, equally less secure, use a front end via an IPFS gateway link. Three, more secure than those, install and run IPFS to access a front end through a local IPFS gateway using a hash code. IPFS is a decentralized file storage network made up of participating computers. Gateways are less secure than direct access. Direct access is accomplished by running IPFS on your own computer and using an IPFS browser extension for browsers that do not natively support IPFS like Chrome. IPFS Desktop connects to other IPFS desktops in the background as soon as it is installed. One can stop it through its tray icon. One can use the search function to search for a file hash, which opens a file via a browser. Bubba thinks downloading a zip file is more simple, easy, and secure. Website 1. The hex server file for hex staking. Bubba types the URL, https colon slash slash go.hex.com. At go.hex.com, it says, quote, decentralization, robustness, and privacy are core principles of real blockchains. Go.hex.com is a list of links to ways you can run your hex code, end quote. Bubba sees the current hex server version is v1.0.2. Bubba sees a IPFS hash string, which is a long text string of 60 characters. Bubba sees a link to an IPFS gateway, where someone, somewhere, is hosting the server file themselves. At the moment, that gateway location is... HTTPS: colon slash slash hex.mypenata.cloud slash IPFS slash the 60 character IPFS hash. If Bubba was going to use an IPFS gateway or accessing it directly, it is absolutely critical that he is using the correct hash. An incorrect hash string means a different file. A different file could be malicious code there to drain you instantly. Know your hash or get drained. Bubba respects his money by checking the hash on things he uses. Bubba scrolls down to where it says, Run it from your desktop. There are five options and a link to download checksums. Checksums are like the hash mentioned earlier. Checksums are used to verify that you downloaded the correct file. If a website gets hacked, it can link to malicious files. Bubba sees the five options are Windows, Windows ARM, Mac OS, Linux, and Linux ARM. Bubba knows his CPU is standard, not ARM style. Bubba clicks the link for regular Windows. That will give a file that says AMD instead of ARM. Bubba begins a zip file download for a file named hexserver 1.0.2 Windows AMD64.zip. It is only four megabytes, the size of a medium-sized photo image file. The link downloads from GitLab. The code is open to inspect at https colon slash, slash, gitlab.com slash pulsechain com A ZIP file is an archive file that you can extract. Some archive programs that can extract ZIP archives are WinZip or 7Zip or PZip. Bubba uses 7-Zip File Manager. Bubba wants to verify the checksum. He clicks the checksum link. A text file downloads from GitLab. Bubba opens the text file. It shows checksums for all five zip files. Bubba looks for the checksum for version 1.0.2 Windows AMD. It is 60 characters. The first four characters are E4F7 and the last four are 0399. Bubba opens 7zip file manager and navigates to the zip file. He right clicks on the zip file to open a context menu. He goes to CRC and then to SHA256. A window opens that shows the file name, file size, and the 60 character checksum. He verifies the entire string. He could probably check 8 characters and be okay. Bubba is satisfied that he has the correct zip file. He extracts the zip file. It creates an executable .exe file named hexserver.exe. When Bubba is ready to stake, he will click this. If Bubba scrolls down further, he can see links to community websites that are running servers for staking hex. Things on the hex website are probably trustworthy, but user beware. Any website server can get hacked and give you a compromised front end. The whole point of running your own server is to avoid website risk. Cybersecurity is all about reducing your attack surface. As of December 2023, six community front ends are listed, as well as Etherscan. One hopes community front ends are up to date and secure. Using Etherscan is different. Etherscan is not that hard, but you have to enter units of Hex as hearts, and you enter the stake length in days. There is nothing to display the math of what you are doing, like T-share rate or T-share count. Hex's base unit is the heart. Hearts are to Hex as Satoshi's sats are to Bitcoin. There are 100 million hearts per Hex. For now... Bubba is just collecting files. The next zip file to collect is the Uniswap front end. Bubba types in the URL, https colon slash ethhex.com, Bubba sees it says v1.0.3. There is an IPFS hash and a link to an IPFS gateway at ethhex.mypinata.cloud IPFS the 60-character hash string. The top of the page says, quote, Decentralization, robustness, and privacy are core principles of real blockchains. ethhex.com is a list of links to ways you can run your Uniswap V2 code. This enables you to swap Hex on Ethereum. To swap hexon pulse chain, please use app.pulsex.com instead. End quote. What is important about this? This points out that Uniswap v2 code is used. Uniswap v2 code is open source and open license. Meanwhile, uniswap.org is hosting v3, which is not open, and they are building v4. Bubba believes that Uniswap.org has been co-opted by enemies of real crypto and can no longer be trusted to serve the public. Bubba has seen app.uniswap.org block smart contracts like Hex on their front end. Bubba finds this ironic since Hex made Uniswap popular and was 40% of its trade volume in its early months. In terms of smart contract code, the difference between V2 and V3 is symmetrical liquidity versus asymmetrical liquidity. V2 symmetrical liquidity is better for participants doing trades, and V3 is better for liquidity providers who make fees from trades. Bubba is downloading a Uniswap V2 auto server, which is a DEX protocol for trades only on Ethereum mainnet. Bubba scrolls down past the IPFS link to where it says run it from your desktop, just like on the previous page. There are the same 5 different links for different operating systems plus the link for checksums. Bubba downloads the Windows version and he downloads the checksum file. The file name that he downloads should have a matching version number to what is displayed on the top of the page. The file name for Windows Uniswap is ethhex-uniswap-server underscore 1.0.3 underscore windows underscore amd64.zip. Bubba uses his zip file program to check the SHA-256 checksum of the file he downloaded versus the text file. For his v1.0.3 AMD64 file, the first four digits of 60 are 9ED6 and the last four are 9772. Bubba is not lazy and compares all 60 characters. Below the file links are links labeled as Community Sites. One runs a Uniswap v2 DEX, one is a different DEX for US users and one is a third DEX for non US users. For now, Bubba is still just collecting files. The next zip file to collect is the PulseChain Bridge front end. Bubba goes to the URL https://bridge.pulsechain.com. Bubba sees it says v1.0.5. There is an IPFS hash and a link to an IPFS gateway at bridge.mypinata.cloud slash IPFS the 60-character hash string. The top of the page says, quote, Decentralization, robustness, and privacy are core principles of real blockchains. This is a list of links to ways you can run your Pulsechain bridge code, end quote. Bubba scrolls down past the IPFS link to where it says Run It From Your Desktop, just like on the previous pages. There are the same five different link buttons for different operating systems, plus the link for the checksums. Bubba downloads the Windows version, and he downloads the checksum file. The file name is PulseChain. Dash bridge dash server underscore 1.0.5 underscore windows underscore amd64.zip. Bubba uses his zip file program to check the SHA 256 checksum of the file he downloaded versus the text file. For his V1.0.5 AMD64 file, the first four digits of 60 are 0913. And the last four are 4374. Bubba is still not lazy and compares all 60 characters. Below the file links is a section called Community Sites. It has one link to a third-party website that runs multiple bridge protocols among multiple chains. Bridges are the most vulnerable, most buggy, most hacked thing in crypto. Bad bridges are a great way to lose money. Bridges introduce counterparty risk. But taking a website out of the equation reduces the attack surface for hacks. Never trusting a bridge website again is a great idea. Bubba is still just collecting files. The last zip file to collect is the PulseX DEX front end. Bubba goes to the URL, https colon slash slash app.pulsex.com. Bubba sees it says v1.0.5. There is an IPFS hash and a link to an IPFS gateway at pulsex.mypenata.cloud slash IPFS slash the 60 character hash string. The top of the page says quote, Decentralization, robustness, and privacy are core principles of real blockchains. app.pulsex.com is a list of links to ways you can run your Pulsex code. End quote. Bubba scrolls down past the IPFS link to where it says Run it from your desktop. Just like on the previous pages, there are the same five different link buttons for different operating systems, plus the link for checksums. Bubba downloads the Windows version and he downloads the checksum file. The file name is pulsex-server-1.0.5-windows-amd64.zip. Bubba uses his zip file program to check the SHA-256 checksum of the file he downloaded versus the text file. For his V1.0.5 AMD64 file, the first four digits of 60 are 61AD, and the last four are 810F. In the Community Sites section below the file links, there are three links. I recognize one of the three as being a PulseX DEX front end. The other two may be alternative DEXs. Now Bubba has all four files downloaded. If Bubba has bookmarked the websites, then he can open the website and download the four zip files and four checksum text files in a minute or two. He can also find all the files at gitlab pulsechain.com. Bubba uses his zip file program to extract the zip files. He gets Four EXE executable files that will each run their own server and produce a front end. He can run any of them at any time. He will only run one at a time to conserve his computer speed. End of Part 1. Getting the Files Part 2. Using the Files Bubba must have a plan of what he wants to accomplish before he runs auto-servers. Of the four files, one works for Ethereum only, one works for Pulse Chain only, and two work for both Ethereum and Pulse Chain. The DEXs each work with one chain. The bridge and the staking protocol work for both chains. Uniswap is the DEX for Ethereum. PulseX is the DEX for Pulse Chain. When using the bridge, Bubba selects which chain from which he wants to send funds to the other chain. When using the staking protocol, Bubba selects on which single chain his hex mining t-share will exist. Bubba's plan is to start with tokens on the Ethereum chain. He will use Uniswap on the Ethereum chain to execute trades for new tokens. He will use the bridge to transfer some of the tokens to Pulse chain. He will use PulseX on PulseChain to execute trades for new tokens. Some of the tokens that he acquires via Uniswap and PulseX will be the HEX token native to each chain. He will use the staking protocol once on each chain to start mining HEX natively on each chain. For Bubba to start using the auto servers, he must use some kind of centralized Fiat on-ramp service. This is the unfortunate choke point to entering crypto, and fiat on-ramps in the USA require KYC, which means know your customer. KYC is part of a BSA-AML compliance program. BSA means Bank Secrecy Act, and AML means Anti-Money Laundering. Most banking regulations are designed to eliminate free market competition and a freedom to transact. Bubba chooses a fiat on-ramp service that he calls CoinBank. His requirement for an on-ramp is that he can have a deposit clear same day, either with a bank wire or bank debit card. For Bubba to affect his plan and make this example with big round numbers, he will deposit $10,000 at CoinBank. Using Coinbank, he will buy $200 worth of ETH and $9,800 of a stablecoin. Bubba assumes all stablecoins are garbage. Since Bubba will only hold the stablecoin for a few minutes, he will use USDC. Bubba does not need this money for bills or a down payment or an emergency. He has been paying into a retirement account for years, and now he wants an asset that Wall Street. Bankers and the government cannot confiscate on a whim by using the DTCC. Even more than that, he wants an asset that benefits from the constant debasement of dollar purchasing power by the Federal Reserve. Bubba is aware that he could easily spend $100 or more in fees by the time he is done today. Fees are always something to pay attention to. Fees are at every step. Bubba buys $200 worth of ETH and gets 0.099 ETH. This is a tenth of an ETH, but he is thinking of it as 99 thousandths of ETH. This ETH is for fees, not for investment. Bubba buys $9,750 USDC with the remaining $9,800. Bubba paid fees to CoinBank for each transaction and these fees reduce what he receives. Although CoinBank tells Bubba he has bought these tokens, Bubba still does not own the tokens and could lose access to them at any moment because the tokens are controlled by CoinBank's private keys. Even when Bubba paid dollars for tokens, the tokens never moved from CoinBank's public address. If CoinBank went bankrupt or had a bank run, they retained the right to keep their tokens. Bubba agreed to these terms when he signed up for the service. Not Bubba's keys, not Bubba's coins. Bubba sets up a so-called withdrawal from the CoinBank account to his personal public address. This is how Bubba takes control of the tokens he paid for. Bubba generated and knows the private key for his public address. Bubba generated his private key with a Trezor hardware wallet. He can use the hardware wallet to create approval codes with his private key, but the private key does not have to be dedicated to any hard or soft wallet device. Private keys are just knowledge. Bubba performs two separate withdrawals from CoinBank to his own public address. Coinbank warns him this is irreversible, which happens to be one of the features of real crypto participation, as opposed to the fake crypto service which Coinbank provides. Bubba pays a fee of a few dollars each time, once to send the ETH and once to send the USDC. When he confirms, the transaction is complete in 15 to 30 seconds. To verify the tokens moved to the correct address, Bubba has two methods. One, he can view the transaction hash on the block explorer, etherscan.io. Two, Bubba can open a web browser with a software wallet extension like Metamask. Bubba has been using Metamask with a VPN. It is a good idea to always use a VPN for crypto. A VPN protects against identity scraping via IP address and geolocation logs. Bubba is thinking about using another wallet when sister companies MetaMask and Infura begin demanding KYC identity documents and biometrics. The Hex founder Richard Hart may release a software wallet program someday. For now, only imperfect solutions exist for soft wallets. Even Ledger has lost trust as a hard wallet manufacturer since they began offering a recovery service. At the moment, MetaMask is required for using the Hex Auto server. Front ends by other community members may allow other soft wallets. This is one of those things that can change often, and it is on you to figure out what works on any given day. Bubba opens the Soft Wallet extension on his browser and connects his hardware wallet to it. Upon connecting, he sees that his token balances have updated when the wallet is set to the Ethereum mainnet blockchain. The Soft Wallet acts as the front end for the Hard Wallet. The wallet communicates with blockchain nodes. By default, MetaMask uses Infura Ethereum nodes. This is not an issue for Pulse Chain. The first auto-server that Bubble will use is the Uniswap V2 server that he downloaded from ETHEX.com. This will allow him to swap out the USDC tokens for other tokens. The ETH will be used solely for gas fees to fund transactions. ETH gas fees go to Ethereum validators to reward them for supporting the network. DEXs like Uniswap and PulseX will deduct fees from the token being traded to reward the token pool suppliers. Bubba double-clicks the Uniswap exe file. Bubba sees an exe message window open as the server begins running locally on his computer. The server opens a tab on his default browser that looks like any other Uniswap front-end. It looks like a website, but it is running locally on his computer. Bubba's browser is the client, and the server is hosting the client in the background. The exe message window shows two messages. Message one, starting Eth-Hex Uniswap server. Message two, you can access the eth Uniswap server at http colon slash slash 127.0.0.1:5556. The IP address 127.0.0.1 refers to your local computer. Each server uses a different four-digit virtual port address. The Uniswap port is 5556. Dot zero dot zero dot .0.0.1 means home. Bubba can buy a welcome map for his home that says, there's no place like 127.0.0.1, which is a pun on the Wizard of Oz's, there's no place like home. If a browser window did not open, or the wrong browser opens, then Bubba could paste or type the local IP address and port into the URL bar of the browser and it would open a front end client. The IP address with port address can also be bookmarked like a website. Websites are all IP addresses, but we are used to using words that are resolved into numbers by a DNS, a domain name service. Bubba selects to connect a wallet. Using the connection dialog, he connects MetaMask to the Uniswap front end. Upon connection, the Uniswap protocol will see how many tokens are associated with the public address that is associated with the hard wallet. Bubba clicks the settings gear to manually change the slippage tolerance to 0.5% and to change the timeout maximum to 10 minutes. If something is going on where things seem to be running slowly or hanging up, then any pending transaction will time out 10 minutes after initiating the process. If things are running smoothly, then the transaction process can be over in a minute. Bubba closes the settings gear. Now Bubba must trade out his 9750 USDC. Bubba's plan is to get Hex native to Ethereum, sometimes called eHex, and to get WPLS to bridge from Ethereum to Pulsechain, where it becomes PLS. On Pulsechain, Bubba will use PulseX to trade most of the PLS for Hex on Pulsechain and for some PLSX. After the trades, Bubba will stake Hex natively on both chains. In the Uniswap trading interface, Bubba selects USDC on the top and HEX on the bottom. The interface shows the 9,750 USDC associated with his address and any e-HEX already in that address. Bubba must sign an allowance to use the USDC before doing the trades. The request to sign an allowance appears when Bubba selects to trade 3,000 USDC. Bubba clicks to sign the USDC allowance. Allowances can be infinite or they can ask for a spending cap. Bubba enters 99,000 USDC as the cap. He thinks allowance steps are annoying. Changing the slippage setting is more important to him than this. The Uniswap front end asks the soft wallet to ask the hard wallet to provide an approval. Bubba uses his hard wallet to issue an approval code signed by his private key. The Uniswap server communicates the approval to the Ethereum network through MetaMask and Infura. At the next block, the USDC is authorized and Bubba sees a message that he can spend the USDC. Also, the button that says swap lights up. Bubba clicks Swap to initiate the trade of 3,000 USDC. The swap rate is 0.005 hex per USDC, or about half a penny per hex. The Uniswap protocol charges a 0.3% fee, or about $9 from 3,000, which goes mostly to liquidity providers who stock the shelves to get fees. Bubba will get 600,000 HEX on Ethereum. The gas fee will amount to 15 thousandths of ETH, which is $30 out of the $200 worth of ETH that he acquired initially. Bubba approves the trade with his hard wallet. The Uniswap router performs a multi-call to buy HEX from multiple providers in a USDC HEX liquidity pool in exchange for USDC. Uniswap sends the final amount of hex to Bubba's address. The transaction completes in about 15 seconds, the Ethereum block time. Bubba can verify the transaction on a block explorer like etherscan.io. Bubba will stake this hex later. Now he wants to bridge tokens to Pulsechain. Bubba wants to send Wrapped Pulse, WPLS, to Pulsechain, where it becomes Pulse PLS. PLS is to Pulse Chain what ETH is to Ethereum. They are the native tokens from which gas fees are taken on each chain. To get the correct contract address for WPLS, Bubba will open the Pulse Chain Bridge server. Bubba needs the contract address to give to the Uniswap DEX so it knows that he wants WPLS Sending WPLS over the bridge incurs an Ethereum fee. PLS is required on the other side of the bridge in order to claim any token other than PLS. Sending WPLS allows a free auto-claim and a free conversion to PLS. Until recently, there was a bridge fee deducted from any bridged tokens. The bridge.exe file opens a second exe message window that says Starting Pulsechain Bridge Server and You can access the Pulsechain Bridge Server at http colon slash slash 3692 This server is also locally hosted at the IP home address of but this server operates at virtual port 3692. The default browser opens a tab for the PulseChain bridge front-end user interface. This user interface looks similar to the Uniswap interface, but it is a bridge, not a DEX. A bridge moves an asset from one chain to another chain on the same wallet address. A bridge has its own address, which locks tokens on the send side and unlocks tokens on the receive side. Bubba opened the bridge server to get the WPLS token address. On the top half of the bridge interface that represents the Ethereum network, there is a copy icon like two sheets of paper next to the WPLS icon. Bubba clicks this icon too Copy token address. Now the token address is on his clipboard. If he pastes the 42 character text string anywhere, it ends in E6D68A. Bubba goes back to the Uniswap tab. He wants to buy WPLS with USDC. Bubba clicks the hex icon on the bottom half to select a new token. He pastes the text address where it says, select a token. As soon as he pastes the token address, WPLS appears below with a button to click that says import. Bubba clicks import. This loads the contract address into the Uniswap server. A warning appears that says, this token doesn't appear on the active token lists. Make sure this is the token that you want to trade there is a no icon token icon it shows the token address that was pasted with the token name of wrapped pulse from pulse chain and a warning of unknown source these warnings are because the token is not on the centralized token lists from uniswap or gemini that preload 330 token addresses to the server after importing Bubba can use the rest of the USDC to get WPLS to bridge to Pulsechain. Bridging a stablecoin like DAI or USDC or USDT requires forethought. Stablecoins are fake crypto that are centrally managed. If the managing authority does not validate coins on a new chain, then those new coins are worthless. The manager cannot be responsible if a chain forks and doubles the amount of coins. Stable coins are supposed to be redeemable for cash. Forking a chain doubles the redemption burden without doubling the backing reserves. Unbacked currency creation is bad. On PulseChain, Chain, DAI, USDC, and USDT bridged over from Ethereum work, but those same token contracts that appeared on Pulse Chain natively are not supported and are not worth anything. It would be very stupid to trade a supported EDAI for an unsupported PDI, always verify the starting and ending values. Bubba is not at risk of making this trade. Bubba selects to trade all USDC for WPLS. The exchange rate is about six one hundred of a dollar per WPLS. His remaining six thousand seven hundred fifty USDC will convert to about 101 million WPLS at a rate of 15,000 PLS per dollar. Bubba approves this transaction. He accepts the gas fee of 15 thousandths of ETH from his ETH balance, which is worth another $30 at an ETH price of 2,000. Bubba sees the WPLS appear in the MetaMask wallet front end after 15 to 30 seconds. Bubba is finished with the Uniswap DEX. Bubba disconnects his wallet from the Uniswap server in MetaMask. He closes the Uniswap browser tab, and then he closes the ETH Hex EXE message window to stop the server. He can verify the server is not running by looking in his Windows Process Explorer now bubba is ready to bridge bridging can take 30 minutes it takes longer if there is a transaction queue that has to clear which happened when PulseChain first forked from ethereum as of december 2023 the bridge fee was removed now when bubba enters 101 million wpls to transfer to PulseChain, he will receive 101 million on the other side with no fee taken. The bridge allows automatic unwrapping of the WPLS on Ethereum into PLS on Pulsechain. The bridge does not unwrap other wrapped tokens like WBTC or WETH. The advantage to ending up with native PLS on Pulsechain is that PLS is required to transact on Pulse Chain. If Bubba had no PLS, he would have to get PLS from somewhere. Also in December 2023, a community group made a free PLS faucet to increase PulseChain adoption. No wallet connection is required. If Bubba bridges any asset to PulseChain, he can go to the faucet and get 10,000 PLS, which is enough for hundreds of transactions. Transactions on Pulsechain are consistently more than 5,000 times cheaper than Ethereum and 30,000 times cheaper than Bitcoin transactions. This can be viewed at the GAS page of GoPulse.com. Bubba connects his wallet to the bridge and initiates the send. For him to see his tokens on Pulsechain after the send, he will have to switch the network on MetaMask from Ethereum mainnet to Pulsechain mainnet. If Bubba's MetaMask was not set up to connect to Pulsechain, he would go to pulsechain.com for instructions. It is as simple as the following. On MetaMask, click the Networks drop-down. Select Custom Network. Enter the following information. Network Name. Pulsechain, which is one word. New RPC URL, https colon slash slash rpc.pulsechain.com. Chain ID, three six nine. Currency symbol, PLS. Block Explorer, https slash slash When Bubba switches networks, not only will he see the tokens he bridged over, he will see PulseChain copies of any Ethereum smart contract tokens that he possessed before May 13, 2023. On that date, PulseChain launched as the first ever full system state fork of Ethereum. ETH itself would become PLS. When Bubba confirms to send tokens over the bridge, the In progress, animation of a rotating circle will continue for 30 minutes or however long the confirmation process takes. Each transaction is considered complete after there have been 96 confirmations. Bubba can close the browser or experience a blackout and the process will continue until it finishes. If Bubba must restart his computer, he simply runs the Bridge server again connects his hard wallet to the soft wallet, connects the soft wallet to the bridge page and clicks the transaction tab. The pulse chain bridge shows pending transactions if a wallet is connected. The transactions button will appear at the top right. When bridging WPLS from Ethereum, the bridge will automatically run the claim function on the pulse chain side and PLS will appear in the wallet. If Bubba were to bridge over anything besides WPLS, he would have to run a claim function to complete the transaction. For sending WPLS to Pulsechain, the resulting PLS is auto-claimed and appears in the wallet address automatically. The transactions page shows two columns of transaction hashes. One is the sending hash and one is the receiving hash. The word transaction is abbreviated TX. Look for sending TX and receiving TX. If there is nothing under receiving TX, then the bridge is still working. If there is a link to a receiving TX hash, then the bridge is complete. PLS is auto claimed and other PRC20s may be claimed by clicking the claim button. Bubba switches the network on MetaMask from Ethereum to PulseChain the new 101 million pls appears under assets now bubba is done with the bridge next he will run the pulse x server to operate the dex on pulse chain with this dex he will convert pls to hex and plsx bubba closes the bridge tab and the bridge exe message window for a habit of thoroughness, Bubba disconnects the page from MetaMask via connected sites under the three dots menu. Bubba double clicks the PulseX server exe file and runs the PulseX server. The message in the exe message window says Starting PulseX server. And you can access the PulseX server at http:// 127.0.0.1:3691. If a browser tab does not open, then this URL can be pasted or typed into the URL bar to open the tab. PulseX on PulseChain is essentially the same as Uniswap on Ethereum. PulseX runs v1 and v2 pools. These pools do not matter to Bubba. This matters to fancy people who provide liquidity to the pools. Bubba connects his wallet. He clicks the gear to change slippage tolerance to 0.5% and timeout to 10 minutes. The swap window shows PLS to PLSX. Bubba wants a small amount of PLSX relative to HEX, so he types in 9 million PLS, which is about $600 worth at 15,000 PLS per dollar. This will become 36 million PLSX. Bubba commences the swap, approves the gas fee, and approves the transaction with his hard wallet. Unlike the 30 to 50 dollar swap fees on Ethereum, the swap fee on Pulsechain is a fraction of a penny, about 50 PLS. Bubba receives the transaction confirmation for 36 million PLSX. Bubba will not do anything with PLSX except hold it for years. The PulseX DEX sets aside a 0.07% fee of any token that is bought. And then users can choose to run a buy and burn function where that fee purchases PLSX and burns it from supply. Users who spend gas fees running the function receive a bounty, and PulseX holders benefit because the price is pushed up slightly and the supply is reduced, which is deflation. Deflation of the PLSX supply over time means that it becomes more rare. As long as the PulseX protocol is in use, there will always be some buy pressure on PLSX to push up the price. Bubba hopes that these characteristics Make PLSX worth holding over time. Bubba thinks that hex is the best value proposition, so he is more concerned with buying and staking hex in order to mine more hex. Bubba has hex native to Ethereum, sometimes called ehex. Now Bubba wants to acquire hex native to PulseChain, sometimes called phex. He wants to purchase roughly the same unit count of P-hex as he did of ehex. At the moment, Bubba will have to pay twice as much for P-hex as he did for ehex. At the moment, $6,000 worth of Pulse is 90 million PLS. This will leave Bubba with 2 million PLS to hold. This way, Bubba will have 600,000 hex on both chains. Bubba has no idea if this ratio between EHex and PHex will hold into the future. His plan is to split assets on both chains. He feels that Ethereum is a more well-known chain, but has higher swap fees and end-stake fees. Pulse Chain is a much cheaper chain. It is 30% faster, more decentralized, and relatively unknown. PulseChain was created to make HEX more secure, easier to use, and cheaper to unstake. This particular transaction will favor HEX on PulseChain in dollar terms, but it favors HEX equally on both chains in unit count terms. Bubba had acquired 600,000 eHEX for $3,000 on Ethereum. Now Bubba will acquire 600,000 pHEX for $6,000 on PulseChain. Bubba executes the trades and pays 50 PLS in gas fees to PLS validators, which is about half a penny. PulseX charges a 0.29% fee, slightly less than Uniswap. Three quarters of this fee pays liquidity providers for stocking the shelves. One quarter of this fee goes to the PLSX buy and burn system. Out of the $6,000 trade, the $17.50 fee will be split as $13.50 for liquidity providers and $4 for the PLSX buy and burn system. Now Bubba has 2 million PLS, 36 million PLSX, 600,000 EHEX, and 600,000 PHEX. He is done using PulseX to swap. He closes the PulseX tab, he closes the PulseX EXE message window. He disconnects PulseX from connected sites on MetaMask. The last thing Bubba is going to do is run the hex server to stake hex. I have discussed staking extensively in previous episodes, so this will be short. Bubba double clicks to open the hex server. The messages in the exe message window read starting hex server, and you can access the hex server at HTTP 12700one5555 slash, slash colon 5555. The default browser window opens the local front end. Bubba is going to stake HEX on Ethereum and then stake HEX on PulseChain. The message at the top of the front end says, HEX requires the Metamask extension for this browser to access the Ethereum network. This applies to both Ethereum and Pulse Chain. Both are EVM chains. EVM means Ethereum Virtual Machine, which is the software architecture. If Bubba wants to use a wallet besides MetaMask, he will have to find a different front end that allows that. Wallet suitability and integration is something that can change often. Bubba has only ever used MetaMask for staking. Bubba selects the chain network for both the Hex server and for MetaMask before he connects MetaMask. He changes both to Ethereum mainnet, and then he connects the wallet. For a multi-stake strategy, Bubba could break up his 600,000 Hex on each chain into a staking ladder of different amounts at different times, such as 300k Hex at 15 years, 200k Hex at 10 years, and 100k Hex at 5 years. For today, Bubba does one stake to keep it simple. He is staking for retirement, so he selects the max stake length of 5555 days, or 15.2 years. He selects the max amount of Hex on that chain, 600,000. At a T-share rate of 30k Hex, he would get... 20 T-Shares for a 1-day stake. T-Shares are Hex Miners. Because he is staking 10 years or more, he gets a 3x bonus, meaning 60 T-Shares. Bubba clicks stake. He acknowledges the gas fee and signs the approval code. He waits 15 to 30 seconds for the stake to complete. The stake will appear as an active stake starting at the next UTC0 hour, which is midnight in London. The 600k HEX are already sent from Bubba's address to a burn address and no longer appear in Metamask. The mining share receipts known as T-shares will be part of the HEX contract for the next 15 years, where they accrue claims on inflation rewards that will be calculated and claimed using the end stake function run by Bubba in 15.2 years when the contract term completes. If Bubba is desperate or stupid, he can end stake early for massive penalties for his dishonesty to himself. Those penalties will go to other hex stakers. Bubba does not want to be one of the many unfortunate people that do this. The gas fee on Ethereum for starting a stake is a little lower than swapping. At the moment, it is about ten thousandths of ETH, which is $20 at an ETH price of $2,000. Depending on the gas rate and ETH price in 15 years, the end stake fee could be two tenths of an ETH or two whole ETH or more, it is impossible to know. Everything Bubba just did will be the same on Pulsechain, except the fees will be drastically lower. Pulsechain was created to make unstaking Hex as cheap as it was when Hex first launched before Ethereum made their data storage load function more costly. The stake on Ethereum is complete. Bubba switches the network on the front end and on Metamask to Pulsechain. Bubba stakes the 600k hex on pulse chain for 5555 days. He pays a few PLS in gas, which is a fraction of a penny. PLS will have to get much more expensive than ETH to have a similar end stake fee. For now, pulse chain gas fees are 5,000x cheaper than Ethereum. The stake on pulse chain is complete. Now Bubba is done serving himself crypto. He closes his server window. He disconnects any connected sites on Metamask. He closes his browser. He turns off his computer. He returns to regular life. This is the end of the story of Bubba using the downloadable zip files. Summary and Conclusion At each website with links to run code, there was a phrase like, decentralization, robustness, and privacy are core principles of real blockchains. Here are ways to run your code. Wherever things are at now with crypto, the best direction to head is in this direction. Those of us who are currently crypto participants can either head this direction and help others to do so, or we can watch crypto collapse in a pile of centralization and censorship. Richard Hart has provided three inventions revolutionary to crypto, Hex, PulseChain, and these auto-server files. Most people who think they are in crypto will be slow to find out or understand these inventions. Necessity is the mother of invention, and it is the driver of discovery. The real problem for cryptocurrency is that most people who have heard of it don't know what it really is, and most people in the world don't know it exists. Most people don't know the problem that is everywhere in their lives that cryptocurrency addresses directly. Most people shut down or change subjects or recite ignorant talking points if the following subjects are mentioned. Cryptocurrency Fiat currency, finance, central banking, personal banking, stocks, bonds, and retirement accounts. Most people would rather pretend there is no problem or that there is nothing they can do about it. Cryptocurrency was invented. It works. Innovations are ongoing. The real challenge is discovery and understanding. Necessity is likely to be the driver of discovery. The pain and failure of falling behind economically may be the necessity. Our hope lies in our ability to learn and educate. This episode has been Serving Yourself Crypto. I hope my discussion helps you to better understand or articulate Some of these ideas. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.